Praise the Lord. Good to be in Bible study. Glad for everybody here this evening. I heard about this young man. He told his wife it was Tuesday night. He said, honey, I love you so much that instead of, of staying home for Tuesday night football, I'm going to take you out on a date. And she said, really? She said, he said, yes, you know, sometimes I'm just spending too much time on football and I just want to take you out tonight. And she said, really, me instead of football? He, he said, absolutely. Literally, did she know there was no such thing as Tuesday night football, only on Monday and Thursday. So some called him genius that uh, he was giving up, not really giving up anything. Good to be in Bible study. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. And then while we're getting ready, a couple... Not a couple, a bunch of announcements. We're still looking for cleanup help, and I think we were a little bit generic last week. We talked about needing help. But if you go downstairs on the first floor, we have a sign-up sheet, and there's, there will be tasks there. Uh, after every service, we just need to vacuum each of the floors, uh, sanitize the bathrooms, do a quick touch-up. It took Reverend two, two and a half hours, I think, today, something like that. So if ten of us can give ten minutes... We can uh, get them back out on the harvest field. So if you can help us out afterwards, just sign up. That way we'll know what you plan on doing. Everybody should do something. Amen? Everybody should do something. We were doing and helping with the floors and whatnot. And if we all do something, it will make it easy. It will be a blessing to us. All right, baptism. We are getting ready to have a baptism. There is a baptism sign-up sheet. If you've not been baptized since you've been saved... Or, let me just say it that way, if you haven't been baptized since you've been saved, you should be baptized. It's a commandment of God. Sign up on the first floor. Whenever we get five or ten names, we will schedule that baptism. We already got one name, but if you need baptized, sign up down there. Ladies wreath making tomorrow night. That's November 16th from 5 to 8 here at the church. See Sister Devonshire. It is a wreath making potluck. I guess you're going to eat the wreaths afterwards. I don't know. But uh, bring some food, pot of chili, cake, pie, finger food, whatever you'd like, and then bring your own wreath and decor, and then they're going to decorate them together. So that should be fun. Uh, fellowship meeting this weekend, Hopkinsville, Kentucky Church. It's about four hours from here. You can go down Friday. They have a fellowship in gathering at 8 p.m. But the main service is Saturday at 1 p.m. Saturday at 1 p.m., uh, again, it's very doable, very doable to drive down Saturday morning, go to church, have lunch afterwards, drive back same day, get together with some of the sisters, some of the brothers, make it happen. You know, um, as we get older in God, you have to put forth that effort to stay alive. Amen? Put forth that effort to be renewed and regenerated, um, whether it's conference or fellowship meetings or prayer meetings. You get out of it what you put into it. So you put that extra effort and you get to those special services, uh, you will be blessed. We encourage you to go. That's this Friday and Saturday. Service is Saturday. There is an in-gathering fellowship on Friday. And if you need more information, you can talk to us and we'll give you the info. All right. Thanksgiving Day service, November 24th, 11 a.m. service. And then afterwards we have a potluck fellowship here at around 1.30. If you'd like to help decorating, see Sister Devonshire. There is a sign-up sheet for whatever you are going to cook and bring. Everybody bring something and we'll have something to eat. Amen. Amen. We all bring water. We'll drink tea together, I guess. So, all right. Book of Hebrews chapter 8 tonight. Hebrews chapter 8. Glad for everybody here. All right, Hebrews chapter 8. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. I'll stop right there. Let us pray. If we could have 
Reverend Tuig, sir, please pray over our Bible study and teacher. Amen, amen. Glad for everyone here and those who've been following along, we've told you that the very uh, subject, the very theme of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels, better than Moses, better, the new covenant's better than the old covenant. Right now we're dealing with the priesthood. Christ's priesthood is better than the Old Testament priesthood. And so he had given us a bunch of reasons why his priesthood was better than the Old Testament priesthood in chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, he sums it up. That's why he said, of the things, get back to it, which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest. Well, what kind of high priest do we have? If you remember last week, Paul began to describe him. He said, we have, uh, our high priest never dies. He has an unchangeable priesthood. The other high priest, what did we tell you last week? There was 83 of them, I think, from the original one until the uh, overthrow of the temple. About 83, I think. Uh, they always changed out, but we have a high priest that will never change. We found out that we have a high priest who's able to save to the uttermost. We told you last week it wasn't from the uttermost, but to the uttermost, which means he's able to save us completely, fully, every part of our lives, and he's able to save us unto the end. So we have a high priest that can save us to the uttermost. We have a high priest that ever lives to make intercession for us. We've got a high priest that prays for us. Not only that, the Bible said he is set down at the right hand of the Father. You know, sometimes people will, they'll say something like, well, my uncle is the mayor, or my uh, my cousin is the senator, or I know uh, the president, so on and so forth. Or maybe I live next to this important individual. Our high priest, not only is Jesus God, but he's sitting next to God the Father. So we've got someone that loves us so much that he died for us, someone that's praying for us, someone that has access to the Father. He's right there. So we've got, we truly have a friend in high places, Amen. A Savior that's seated next to the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. Paul described him. He said, our high priest is holy. He's separate from sinners. He's harmless. He's undefiled. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices daily like the Old uh, Testament high priest did. Because he offered himself once and for all. We have such an high priest. So Paul just laid it all out there after all of the evidences stack upon stack upon stack upon why he's better. Then he says, and let me just sum it up. That's the high priest we have in Jesus. We've got a great high priest. So that having been said, he begins to push forward. What does this high priest do? Verse 2, he is a minister of the sanctuary. And of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Now, here's the next point Paul's getting ready to make. The tabernacle and the priesthood on earth was just a copy of the true tabernacle and priesthood in heaven. So the things that um, Moses uh, dictated, God told him, be careful that you do it according to the pattern that was shown you. You remember that? He said, be careful to do it like what you have seen. Because he was creating an earthly replica of what's in heaven. So Paul's saying, why our high, high, our high priest and this priesthood is better? We've got a heavenly priesthood. The stuff down on earth, it's just an imitation. It's just a copy of the true. And they said, we've got a minister of the sanctuary. Now, when you speak of sanctuary, sometimes in the political sense, they, they speak of someone seeking sanctuary, meaning they're looking for a safe place, a government or a nation that won't deliver them back to the nation they're coming from because that nation wants to persecute them or uh, do them harm or lock them up. 
And so they look for a sanctuary. Sometimes in America they speak of sanctuary cities, <laughs> which is, you know, keeping illegals from their very own country as if America is trying to do them harm. We're just trying to uh, keep the law. Anyhow, we have a sanctuary. The church should be a safe place. A safe place for Christians to kind of let their guard down. A safe place for us to be real. You know, you can't get operated on unless you are willing to lay down on the table and let the doctor do what he needs to do. You don't see a surgeon chasing after a patient, holding a scalpel, running after him, saying, hold on, slashing at him. That's not what happens. The patient must surrender to the surgeon. Amen? Sometimes in the church, we don't get the healing that we need because we're not willing to be genuine, let down our guard, let God deal with the things. Quit pretending like everything's perfect. We all know that everything's not perfect. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when we come to church, instead of expecting everybody to be perfect, we come to church and we understand this is a place where we receive grace and we offer grace. Amen? We receive and offer grace. It is a sanctuary, a safe place. Jesus is the minister of that sanctuary, that true tabernacle. So if Jesus is the minister, he is the one that is performing the rites. He is the one that is presenting the healing. He is the one that is making the sacrifice. This is, his priesthood is different because not only is he the priest, he was the sacrifice. He was both. He offered himself. So he is the one that is presenting the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He is the minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. And he said this, which the Lord pitched and not man. To pitch a tent is to erect or put up a tent. And so in the Old Testament, they had this mobile tabernacle. And the the Levites, the various families of the Levites all had a job. This particular family would would uh, uh, take down the tenons and the, and the uh, outer casing. And this family would uh, carry all of the, uh, the skins that covered the tabernacle. There was three different layers of skins. That's why there had to be light burning on the inside all the time because it was dark in there. Uh, that's probably why it had to be an incense burning all the time because I'm, uh, I'm sure that they probably didn't smell very good. Amen? So each family had their job that they would take down this and fold this up, and then they would put in the staves, and they would carry it to the next place. And when they would get there, and then they would set it up again, man would set up the tabernacle. They would have a place to worship God. But God's reminding them that was just, that was just an earthly replica of what I created in heaven. Now, I think about this a little bit. Man is prone to make mistakes. Um, I'm thinking about, uh, I worked at a job somewhere and they were talking about, I hope that whoever did this, it was a crucial part, I can't remember now, but I hope whoever did this, I hope it wasn't a Friday afternoon special. And what they meant was, of course, on Friday afternoon, you're ready for the weekend. You're trying to get stuff done, get out the, the door so that you can enjoy your weekend. And so maybe you didn't give all the attention to that part. And all of the uh, uh, dedication and attention to detail that you should have. And so because you didn't give all the attention to it, it might not last the way it was supposed to. Well, mankind can set up certain things. It's inherently going to be imperfect because man is imperfect. But when God sets it up, it is inherently perfect because God is perfect. Going on. Jesus is the minister of the sanctuary. He is the the one that put up the true tabernacle. And then verse 3. For every high priest 
is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. A priest's whole job was to be a go-between between mankind and God. And that sacrifice was what he would offer to God for mankind. Jesus had to offer something also. He offered himself. Now, verse 4. If he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. I just dealt with all of that. So let me go on. Verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Now, Paul is going to make the case that in the Old Testament, when he talked about another covenant, he was in, in the very language telling them that the covenant they had was not perfect. Because if what you had was perfect, why would you be talking about another one? So that's where he's, he's laying all this foundation again, that there was a better covenant. There's a better sanctuary. There's a better priesthood. He said, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Verse 8, for finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. Now, Old Testament covenant, Moses went to the mountain, brought down the Ten Commandments. The first time he came down, he saw them involved in idolatry. He threw them down and uh, went back up again. And God gave him another set. Now we're going to find the second covenant is so much better because there is not some external bunch of tablets that can be broken, but he writes it upon our heart. He writes it upon our heart. Now the problem was he couldn't write it upon our heart at first because our heart was written with sin. It had sin all in it. So God had to first cleanse us and then he writes that law upon our heart and we inherently know what's right and wrong. The whole idea of knowing what's good and bad is because we have a conscience, but when our conscience and our heart is made new in salvation and made new in Christ, we begin to understand better what's right and what's wrong. Now, there might be times where you're not quite sure about a certain situation, but most of the time as a Christian, you understand there's just that sensitivity on the inside. Man, something I shouldn't think that way. I shouldn't. I was listening to one of our ministers, and he was talking about how he woke up in the morning, and he was uh, brewing some coffee, and, and he got to thinking about it. He said, God, I shouldn't feel that way about that individual. I think I have some bitterness in my heart. And, Lord, I ask that you would take it away. I don't want to have that bitterness in my heart toward that person. And he was bringing up the fact that as a Christian, we have this tenderness that as we follow God, he, he directs us. We keep things right with him because God has written on our heart, which is really our mind, what the law is. And he guides us by the spirit and we sense when things aren't the way they should be. It's a scary thing when we get numb, insensitive, uh, calloused toward the things of God. When you can skip church and it doesn't mean anything to you. When you can not pay your tithe and don't even blink about it. When you can hold bitterness on the inside and uh, uh, don't sense that 
break in that fellowship with God and the, the sense of judgment that's going to come upon the person that doesn't repent of their sin. And you get that way when you don't deal with the things when they're small. When you're sensitive to the small things and you clean it up and you make it right, then you don't become callous towards the larger things. You wonder sometimes, how can churches be pro-abortion? How can they be pro-same-sex marriage? How can they be affirming to the LGBTQIABCDEFG community? Amen? They just keep adding letters on it. Every time you turn around, they add another letter. How can they do that? Because somewhere along the line... They allowed things to go on, and they've gotten numb and callous to what the Bible said. Except for the grace of God, so go we, unless we keep our hearts tender to the small things of God. Let's go on. We've got just a few more minutes. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. And write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Why? Because God, when we come to Christ, he cleans us and he writes the law in our heart. So we begin to understand what's right and wrong. We have a relationship with the Father. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So way back in the Old Testament he was saying he had made preparation that there was going to be a new covenant. He said he gave them a promise, and that promise said, I'm going to write this law in your heart. I'm not going to remember your sins anymore. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to make you different. They knew this. He was writing to the Jews. They knew that, they, that God had said this in the Old Testament. So then he was able to say, since God promised a new covenant, we know this old covenant can't be perfect. God had something better. And that something better was in salvation by uh, by the blood of Jesus and faith in him. Now, you say, preacher, that, pastor, that all talks about the Jews and the Old Testament. How in the world does that have reference to me? How, how does that affect my life today? Well, it pulls us away from what they did, which was salvation by works. It pulls us away from the idea that we go through all of these things to earn a standing with God. And we understand that we could never be good enough to be accepted by God in our own self. You're not pretty enough, smart enough, wise enough, rich enough, good enough. The whole idea was to show that we needed Christ. And because we understood that there was no inherent goodness. Matter of fact, we had sinned. We needed a Savior. We accept Christ. He comes into our life. He takes out the sin, writes the law in our heart. He enables us. He reprograms us so that we're able to live for him. Now, thinking about that, much of what the world may call legalism then begins to snap into place. Because now that I'm a Christian, I understand that God is concerned. I want to be pleasing to him in how I dress, how I carry myself. Some of the things that we're dealing with today, it's just mind-blowing when we start talking about all the transgender stuff, all that stuff. But look, I've been trying to, to share with you. Look how that God really predicted this way back when. And he told people, I don't want you to wear the garments and the clothes that pertain to the opposite sex. I want you, if you're a man, to dress like a man. Put on the trousers. I want you, if you're a woman, to dress like a woman. Wear a dress and wear the feminine garments. I don't want you to to 
what we call transvestite, which really means wearing clothes of the opposite sex. That's what the word means. I don't want you to be like that because he knew where it would lead. And that's exactly where it has led. But let it not be that way in the house of God. Let it not be that way in our lives. So he said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and iniquities where I remember no more. Is that a blanket statement? Does that mean that God's just going to instantly say all of our sins and iniquities uh, are just washed away? No, of course not. It means that there is a way for us to appropriate salvation through Jesus by repenting of our sins and accepting what Christ has done for us. He will then in turn give us a new heart. So in Romans, when he talks about them having a reprobate mind, he talks about a mind that can't discern what's right and wrong anymore. Well, that was, in essence, part of what a pre-salvation mind was. It was only the grace of God that awakened conviction in our heart, that made us realize that we were wrong. Then when we get saved, he makes us, he gives us a new heart and a new mind, and we, we can in turn, if we wanted to, we could start that process again. If you allow sin in that new heart and that new mind... It starts getting dirty and defiled. You get used to it. You could get to the place where you could not function, find out what's right and wrong anymore. So let's deal with the little things. The writer said, take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. Much better to deal with it when it's small than wait till a major catastrophe has taken place. My time is up. Father, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace, for the ability to have our hearts renewed, for teaching us what's right and what's wrong, for making us different from this world and giving us the courage, the bravery, to stand for you. God, we're going to need it more and more as the day progresses, more and more as time passes. And I pray that you would make us bold as a lion. Help us to be more like Jesus. God, the world is looking for those who, who will be different from them, who can offer them a promise that they don't have to go down the same pathway as everybody else. God, let us offer them that hope. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And God, we give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you is our prayer. We will see you Thursday morning for prayer meeting if you're able. Thursday night church, 730. God bless you. You're dismissed.